Hello, and welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson. Today, we're going to be talking about corn rootworm. You know, we've had some challenges the last couple of years. We anticipate some challenges in 2023. Thank you guys so much for joining us. The objective of every product management team is to improve the product portfolio. If you're farming today, you have to be excited about what's going on. Favorite new advancement in this year's corn class? That's like asking somebody who their favorite kid is, really. So, but. <laughs> and so we really want to get to know what is exciting in seeds right now. And so with us today to talk about corn rootworm, we're going to talk with Nick Sider of University of Illinois. Welcome, Nick. Hi, yeah, thank you for having me. Excellent. Nick, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of tell the audience who you are, what you do, and that kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. So I'm an assistant professor in field crop entomology at the University of Illinois. Um, I'm an extension specialist, which means my, my primary responsibility is developing insect management recommendations. Uh, for Illinois farmers and for the surrounding re- region. For us in Illinois, most of that is corn rootworm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our most economically important insect pest, so that's the one I work on uh, the most. I was at Arkansas before that, didn't have rootworm in Arkansas, <laughs> so I worked on soybean, cotton, grain sorghum uh, down there. And, and I work on a little bit of everything in terms of crops here, but. A lot of it is corn rootworm. Exactly. I mean, corn rootworm has got us a lot of economic loss for farmers, and it's difficult to, con- to control. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of corn rootworm, just just to give you know set the stage for our listeners? Oh, sure. And, and so it's been with us for a very long time. Um, two different species. Northern corn rootworm has been with us in Illinois. I don't know. I don't know when it got started. Uh, the western corn rootworm, which is our our more economically important species now mm-hmm. moved into the state here in Illinois at around the 60s, yep. and it gradually sort of took over. Uh, both these species, the damage they do is very similar. It's a beetle, and the the larva is actually the, the primary damaging stage. So it's going to feed on the roots uh, below ground in corn. Uh, actually, those eggs are hatching Right now, where I'm at in East Central Illinois, um, if you're south of that, mm-hmm. they've been going for a little bit. If you're north, they're they're on their way. Uh, but they'll hatch, they'll they'll enter the root hairs, and they'll start feeding. And as they grow larger, they'll actually prune that root. Um, and and that's obviously a problem. You know, you don't have to know a lot about agronomy to know that like not having a root is bad. <laughs> um, it, prevents nutrient and water uptake and also causes structural problems for that plant. And so when you have that, the plant will fall over. Uh, It'll try to right itself. You get what we call these goosenecked ears, which are sort of crooked-looking ears. And in addition to the yield losses that you get just from that reduced nutrient and water uptake, uh, that falling over the plants, if it doesn't kill the plant or severely reduce its ability to fill seed, it causes a pain at harvest Mm -hmm. um, if you have a lot of that. So there's a variety of reasons why farmers just really do not want this insect uh, 
in their field. Exactly. Yeah, that, you know, that harvest lost from you know not just slower speeds at harvest, but not being able to get the grain into the combine is is really costly for for farmers. Yeah. So over the decades, you know, like you mentioned, corn rootworms been around for decades. I mean, I think you know there are reports that date back to the the 30s and 40s of identification of corn rootworm and as an economically important insect, and it's moved across the corn belt. So. How have people historically controlled corn rootworm in their fields? Yeah, so there's a, a few things um, that you can do. Uh, crop rotation mm-hmm. um, is one that, and, and still in much of the corn belt is very effective. So the adults, um, their natural behavior is to lay their eggs in corn. Uh, corn is the only, not the only plant the larvae can survive on, but it's by far the best host. And, mm-hmm. and certainly it's the only crop plant that they really survive on. Yep. And so if you think about that, if you rotate that host crop with the non-host that they're not laying eggs, you're not going to have any more. Uh, so crop rotation very effective. Uh, primarily, historically, this has been a continuous so corn after corn. And in that situation, you know, for most of our history with this insect, it's been soil insecticides. Mm-hmm. Um, starting in the early 2000s, uh, we introduced BT corn as a control option for this insect. That's where we've actually uh, transformed the genetic makeup of that corn crop to where it now expresses a protein um, that's toxic to insects. It's a a protein derived from a bacteria, Bacillus thuringiensis. That's why it's called BT. Mm -hmm. Um, And when the insect ingests that protein, it causes a series of interactions that result in pore formation in that insect gut. Uh, the insect can't feed, um, so it dies very quickly. And actually now in, in modern corn production, that's going to be the most widespread control method. Uh, it, it's used both in, in rotated and continuous corn, but particularly in continuous corn, it would be pretty uncommon to to not have a BT trade in there for corn rootworm. Absolutely. It's become such a necessity across a lot of acres that it's, it's predominance on corn on corn acres is, uh, you know, across most geographies these days. So, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, we've seen a couple of pretty bad years for corn rootworm pressure across much of the corn belt. I mean, you know, if you look at survivability of the last number of years in uh, various states, it's increased the population of corn rootworm and therefore the pressure of corn rootworm in, in these uh, geographies. What do we anticipate seeing in 2023? Yeah, so in 2023, and obviously it's just getting started, so we're, um, yeah, kind of at the, the front end of the rootworm season. But as you mentioned, we've seen those populations start to build up a little bit over the last couple of years, and we, we sort of expect it'll be another year where where we see just a little bit higher of a population. Mm-hmm. What, what's happened with this insect, um, they've developed resistance to these BT traits. And as that's happened, you, you know, sometimes with insects you get resistance and it's kind of like a lightning bolt, like mm-hmm. you just lose an insecticide usually is what it is yep. all of a sudden. With BT, it's much more of a slow burn where just every year we gradually lose a little bit of susceptibility in these areas, especially where we have a lot of continuous corn, where we have a lot of selection pressure mm-hmm. on that technology. Now, you also have a, a pretty big impact from the weather, and, and in particular, 
if you have very wet conditions while that egg hatch is going on, um, if you get saturated soils, that is really hard on that root worm population. So that can really reduce numbers in a hurry. We don't have that in Illinois right now. We're actually mm-hmm. pretty dry. <laughs> we, yes. We've got what, what appears to be pretty favorable conditions from the rootworms perspective right right now for rootworm survival and and of course when, when you have dry conditions you also need those roots right so it exacerbates the rootworm injury when we have the dry conditions that unfortunately we're seeing in in illinois right now maybe where other folks are and they're wetter than we are we are very very dry here in eastern nebraska right now as well and so you know not all the corn belt but a lot of the corn belts is experiencing uh drier than normal weather and like you said that survivability increases on the corn rootworm uh you know to that extent and you know control is going to be difficult this year overall you know if we have higher populations than normal due to increased number of eggs laid from prior years as well as uh better survivability plus corn rootworm has as you mentioned started to has been developing resistance to various means of control for decades i mean you can look back at insecticide use where emergence conditions or eclosion from their pupil stages would be would alter in timing in order to get around timing of insecticide applications and things of that nature i mean i'm a geneticist by training and so i always think of corn rootworm as the perfect example corn rootworm and farmers as the perfect example of the red queen hypothesis which looks at lewis carroll's through the uh, looking class where in the book there's a quote that says now here you see it takes all the running you can do to keep in the same place and basically the faster we run to get ahead of corn rootworm the faster corn rootworm runs to stay ahead of us and um, it's, it's a perfect example of that. Yeah, it's a, unfortunately a pretty awesome pest for overcoming control technologies. And, mm-hmm. and what's wild it is just the variety of different ways that it can overcome these. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we mentioned crop rotation earlier. You know, there's parts of the Corn Belt where we actually have resistance to crop rotation. Mm-hmm. Instead of laying their eggs in, in corn, which is a host for their larvae, uh, they will lay some of their eggs in soybean, which is not a host for their larvae. Mm-hmm. And so in a natural situation, that's, that's pretty dumb. Um, you know, <laughs> that doesn't really work, uh, except in the very unnatural situation that we've created where, like in East Central Illinois, you know, in some places 97 98% of the landscape is rotated one-to-one corn and soybean. Mm-hmm. And in that environment, the more legs you're laying in soybean, the better off you are. Now, in much of the Corn Belt, uh, especially like Nebraska, mm-hmm. um, like northeastern Iowa, where a lot of the worst problems are, northern Illinois, where we have more continuous corn, that trade isn't very good. Yep. <laughs> and, and so in those areas, uh, you see very little, if any, of that rotation resistance. And in fact, rotation remains really one of the best tools we have um, not just for control, but for keeping that population lower over a wide area and, and reducing that selection pressure mm-hmm. on the BT traits, on the insecticides um, that they're so good at overcoming. Exactly. Yeah, and then in, in the north, you know, the northern uh, corn rootworm, we we have the extended diapause situation. Could you explain that? Yeah, gladly. Yeah, so 
completely different species. It's mm-hmm. closely related. It also overcomes crop rotation, but by a completely different mechanism. So with northern corn rootworm, uh, if you get into an area where you have extended diapause, uh, normally the eggs will all hatch after a single winter. So they go over diapause uh, during the winter, they go dormant. Mm-hmm. And once they've experienced one winter, they'll start accumulating heat and that'll drive them to hatch. Well, with these extended diapause populations, some of them hatch after one year. And then a lot of them will hatch after two years. So mm-hmm. they have to experience two winters. And then a few will even experience three or even four winters uh, before they actually come out. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, it's kind of a bet hedging strategy, right? It's you're in this situation, maybe there's continuous corn, maybe you have corn, corn, soy, you, you know, maybe you have some other rotation. That insect doesn't, well, it doesn't know anyway, but it, it doesn't know there's going to be corn there. Mm-hmm. So some of those eggs are going to hatch in whatever year you have corn in that field. And it reduces the overall pressure in that one year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's fewer of them hatching, but it allows that species to overcome crop rotation as well. As you might imagine, when you get into that situation where you've got, say you've got a lot of northern corn rootworms, or you've got this mix of western and northern corn rootworm, and we're seeing a lot of that um, in our problem fields mm-hmm. in northern Illinois and, and throughout the, the Corn Belt, that really makes that decision-making process pretty difficult. So now it's, okay, do I rotate? How many years do I have to rotate before I'm going to knock this population back? If it's been a couple of years since I've had corn in this field, um, do I need to do anything about rootworm in that field or not? You know, and it it can be very difficult to make that decision. And of course, you can't look at you can't look at a beetle and and say this is an extended diapause beetle or it isn't. You you know, the only way you know that's an extended diapause beetle is it hatched into corn two years after there was corn there. You know, that's the only reason, the only way that Mm -hmm. you can know. Exactly. Now, sometimes people will confuse. you know, single winter diapause uh, with extended diapause if they have volunteer corn in the soybean field. You know, we, we run into that fairly often of, you know, if you don't get good control of volunteer corn, you may get, you know, some rootworm pressure in first year corn that is not related to extended diapause. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and what, we'll see some of that here too. And of course, we're we're in an area where you've got this mix of you have mm-hmm. some variant western corn rootworm that'll lay eggs in soybean you've got some extended diapause we've got unfortunately um volunteer corn just like <laughs> everybody else does you know we, we aren't any better at getting rid of that than than y'all are in nebraska <laughs> so nick we have a lot of different control or at least partial control tools in our tool belt, no one of them appears to be completely effective. I mean, you know, the most effective control measure is rotation. Cornerworm has found a way to, at least in part, get around that in a lot of geographies. We have BT traits that are you know, generally effective, but resistance is building within the populations. And then we have insecticides that you know, provide variable control, and it's all based around timing, and it's all based around uh, you know, getting the right dose at the right time in the right place. And can you tell us what is your recommendation to farmers in Illinois and then basically across the Corn Belt on 
how do you use an integrated approach to managing corn rootworm? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you said it, an integrated approach. So we, we've proven with this insect pretty conclusively that if you rely on the same thing long term, you will get burned on it. You know, there's nothing they're not going to overcome. If they can overcome their, their host-plant relationship, they can overcome just about anything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a few things you can do. One, as much rotation as you can work into that system, uh, do it. Uh, that's going to help you a lot. Where we run into a lot of our, our problems here, it's with livestock producers that they, they need corn. You know, they need corn. They've got limited acreage. The soybeans, I mean, you can sell them, but the soybeans just aren't doing uh, what corn can do for their mm-hmm. operation. Um, we have soil insecticides. For us, those are still pretty effective, at least the, the pyrethroid insecticides that we use most often, the, the organophosphate insecticides. Uh, actually, in Nebraska, there's some resistance to those as well. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how widespread it is, but there is some resistance to those. Um, and then you've got BT traits. So there, there's a few things you want to do as a farmer. One, you, you want to have some kind of a an approach in place to understand what your population is like. Uh, some kind of a scouting program where you're at least getting a feel for how many adults are coming out of these fields mm-hmm. um, so that you can see a problem developing hopefully before it develops. So one of the... Because rootworms feeding below ground, one thing that happens to us sometimes is we have a population that's been building for several years. If we weren't watching those adults or we weren't digging up roots and looking at some of that damage, we don't know about it until that corn's falling over. When that corn's falling over, you've got a pretty big problem. You know, it, it takes a lot of that kind of injury before that plant's falling over and you're seeing it above ground. Um, particularly in a wet year, you, you know, mm-hmm. if it's wet, it, it takes a lot of that injury before you're seeing it. So understanding what your beetle populations are like, I always recommend, I, I know some folks do this, I don't know how many of them do it, but I always recommend digging some roots, um, not necessarily from every field you've got, but I would say from every technology that you're using. So if you're, um, you know, you're running smart stacks in some fields, take some of those fields, dig some roots, see how it's performing. Uh, if you're using SmartStacks Pro, the new the new RNAi, mm-hmm. check some of those out. Uh, if you're using some soil insecticides, you're using Chrome, um, Duracade, whatever it might be, check some of those roots out and, and see how you're doing. Um, not, not just from the corn falling over standpoint, but from the root injury standpoint. Um, when you get into that problem field, really the only effective thing you're going to do with that is you're, you're going to rotate it out of corn, um, mm-hmm. whether it's for one year, two years, three years. I mean, if you don't do that, you're not going to break up that cycle. And, you know, you can put insecticide on top of that trait. Uh, in a lot of cases, if we've got a resistant population, that's going to improve your ratings, certainly. Um, that's going mm-hmm. to improve your, your yields in that situation. It's not going to improve your resistance standpoint. You're sort of putting a Band-Aid on that problem by, <clears throat> excuse me, by doing that. When, when it comes to breaking up that resistance cycle, you've got to get some rotation in that yes. situation. Yeah, from a stewardship standpoint on those traits, we definitely have to rotate. If we see that, that the 
rootworm are breaking through the traits rotation, you know, just to keep those tools available in our tool belts is going to be what we have to do. And it's actually even part of the stewardship guidelines that are required for all farmers to sign as they use the technology as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Nick, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here talking about corn rootworm. You know, we've talked a little bit about its history. It goes back decades. It's found a way around every single uh, management technique that we have in our tool belts, whether that's rotation, traits, insecticide, whatever it might be. And you know, we've determined that basically it requires this integrated approach to controlling the pest. And that requires scouting, that requires inspecting the control measures you think you might be getting and, and things of that nature. Is there any other advice that you'd like to offer our listeners before we conclude? Yeah, sure. Just keep an eye on the situation you know watch the ag news um watch your your extension service podcast like this for for what's going on out there in terms of resistance development this is an insect that it just never rests you you know it never really gets into that equilibrium the way like something like corn borer has for instance where bt came out for that insect and it's essentially gone for, Mm -hmm. for most of the corn belt Corn rootworm isn't like that. It, it's very dynamic. It's always changing. The situation resistance-wise that we're talking about next year could be very different than, than it is right now. And, and so just don't get too comfortable with any one technology, any one insecticide, whatever it might be. Um, it, it's one of these pests that you just have to constantly kind of keep your thumb on and, and mm-hmm. keep yourself informed about what's going on with it. Absolutely. No, that's excellent advice. So, Nick, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, perfect. So, as always, be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th of every month for new episodes. And until then, stay field ready.